You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. In Exodus chapter 5, God continues his redemptive work amongst and for the Hebrew people. It's a beautiful section now that we're entering into where God is going to send his man Moses to be the instrument that he uses to deliver the people of Israel from their slavery there in Egypt. Now, Egypt had been a wonderful place for the Hebrew people. God had promised Abraham and then reaffirmed his promise to Isaac and to Jacob that they would be a large people, a nation of people, and that they would dwell in the promised land of Canaan, modern-day Israel. And God had given these promises, had covenanted with the Hebrew people. But when Jacob moved with his family because of his son Joseph and the great favor that the Pharaoh had given to his son Joseph, when Joseph moved to Egypt, they were a small family of 70 or so individuals. Now, years later, 400 plus years later, they are a people of over 2 million. And their slavery has begun to grow intense. The burden is strong. And no longer do they have the favor of the pharaohs, but they are despised and looked down upon by the Egyptian people. And in that moment of difficulty and frustration, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, begin to cry out to God. So often, we will cry out to the Lord in times of affliction. Through various circumstances, eventually, God placed his hand and his calling upon the life of a man named Moses, who saw God in the burning bush on the backside of the desert. And God spoke to Moses and told him, you are going to go into Israel and you are going to be the instrument that I use to set my people And so Moses returns to Egypt, goes to the leaders in Israel, along with Aaron, his brother, and announces to them that the God of Israel has exposed himself to them, that the God of Israel has promised that they would be delivered from their slavery. And there's great excitement among the Hebrew people. It tells at the end of chapter 4 in verse 31 that the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So great momentum now heading into this fifth chapter. You would almost imagine that what would occur next is that Moses walks into the courts of Pharaoh, announces this wonderful news, gives them the plan, and that Pharaoh with submission and joy, perhaps, allows the people of Israel to be set free from their slavery. But we're going to discover that nothing could be further from the truth. We are now entering into a section where there is going to be an all-out war between God and the false gods of Egypt, primarily the false god named Pharaoh. And so it tells us in verse 1 that afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, this confrontation cannot be understated in its drama. This would have been a very dramatic meeting. The people of Egypt during that time considered the Pharaoh to be somewhat of a god. He wasn't like an elected public official in our modern era. No, he was thought to be a child of the sun itself, worshipped alongside of the other false gods in Egypt. And so for Moses to go in to the courts of Pharaoh and to announce to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go, it's as if Moses is saying, listen, you are subservient to the God of Israel. You are lower than the Lord. And the Lord is commanding you to let his people depart, to go into the wilderness, and to have a feast unto him, unto the Lord, a feast of worship. And I love this because, of course, Moses understood the Pharaoh was not a god, but the Pharaoh was only a man. And God's people throughout every generation would do well to realize that people are only people. So often we fear them, we revere them as if they are God himself. But there is only one who deserves our reverence, and that is God. And so Moses goes into Pharaoh's courts with full understanding. This is just a man with a heart that beats, that is only alive by the grace of God. And God has commanded him to let his people go so that they might worship, that they might have a feast out in the wilderness. Now, Pharaoh's response was very interesting. He just said in verse 2, who is the Lord? In other words, he takes this command, so to speak, and he sees a weakness in the Lord. Perhaps he sees a weakness in the Lord because what kind of God would actually ask for Pharaoh to release his people. <laughs> now, Pharaoh was going to discover what kind of God would make that kind of request or give that kind of command. He's a sovereign God, a powerful God, a God of strength and wonder and awe, a God who can do anything that he pleases. But still, he graciously gives an opportunity for mankind to surrender to him and to surrender to his will before the day of judgment comes. That's the kind of God that Pharaoh was going to discover. He probably despised the Lord for identifying with these Hebrew slaves. And so he rejected Moses, rejected the Lord in this request. And this will be the theme of this next section that we get into. Then they said, verse 3, Moses and Aaron, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So they announced to Pharaoh, they say, listen, please let us go into the wilderness. We want to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, 
This is an interesting phrase or statement that they make to Pharaoh because it's an exact replica of what God had said to Moses back at the burning bush. In verse 18 of Exodus 3, God said to Moses, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And so Moses simply repeats what the Lord had said. And Pharaoh in that culture would have been very comfortable with or would have understood the idea of a people taking time off work for religious matters and festivals and all of that. So it would have been a very reasonable request. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, verse 4, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, and this is now Pharaoh's horrible and insidious plan, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters, verse 6, of the people and their foremen. He said, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So Pharaoh's strategy is very simple. Moses and Aaron, at the moment that they enter into Pharaoh's courts, have the favor of the Hebrew people. They are announcing that God has spoken to them and that their freedom is nigh. But Pharaoh, with a stroke of wickedness, but genius at the same time, tells the overseers to command the people of Israel to construct the same amount of bricks Yet without straw, they have to go out and provide that material for themselves. A straw would be used to keep the clay from shrinking and increase durability. So they had to go out and gather that material, but produce the same amount of bricks. And this would, of course, lead the people to a hatred of their desire for freedom and a hatred and rejection of Moses and Aaron. This was the plan of Pharaoh. But to that end, we should mention that many times when God is moving in a person's life, when God is getting ready to set a person free, oftentimes the situation will grow worse before the deliverance of God is fully seen. This very thing that Pharaoh is doing is a necessary ingredient, necessary for full deliverance. At this point, they're simply requesting to be set free for a few days of worship. But God wants to deliver them entirely to move to the promised land. This was required for the full judgment of the false gods in Egypt, the plagues that would follow this rejection and this hardness and this difficulty would judge the false gods of Egypt. And this was required for a full separation of God's people 
from idolatry. The idols that were there in Egypt needed to be crushed in their sight so that they would see that the Lord and the Lord alone lives. There are times that it must grow worse before it grows better. So verse 10, the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, these are Hebrew men, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task? of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past. Then the foreman of the people of Israel, verse 15, came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Now, before we see the response of Pharaoh, Let us notice here that when the going got tough, these Israelite foremen, they cry out, it tells us in verse 15, to Pharaoh. They don't cry out to the Lord. They don't intercede. They don't pour out their needs and their concerns before the Lord. Instead, they rush immediately to Pharaoh. It, It shows you where their trust is found. They immediately try to tinker with their circumstances instead of running to the Lord himself. And oh, that God's people would more and more run to the Lord, cry out to him in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, and times of disaster. Run to the Lord. All too often in my own life, in times of difficulty, I have sought to improve my situation, improve my station in life, and have taken matters into my own hands. And I have to tell you that so often in those moments, I've made the matter and the situation so much worse and have discovered that it's so much better for me in those times of real difficulty and trial to cry out to the Lord. To get alone with God and to say, Lord, what's going on here? Why is this burden increasing? Why is this so difficult? And the Lord will quite often comfort my heart. And the Lord quite often will prove himself as my deliverer as I simply wait on him and trust in the Lord. Pharaoh responded in verse 17 when he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh, basically, in one word, the word idle, sums up his logic. He's saying, you're a lazy people. This is why you want to go and sacrifice to the Lord. It's why you want to go worship him. He says, go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, 
your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So these foremen go and attempt to reason with Pharaoh. And they discover that Pharaoh's hand is firm against them. And they realize and and hear this command that they have to produce the same amount of bricks as before. And terror absolutely fills their hearts. And they then go back and Aaron and Moses are waiting for them, perhaps to give them the report that their meeting with Pharaoh hadn't gone so well. But by this time, these leaders already know the truth. And they cry out against them and say, listen, the Lord needs to judge you. You have made us stink in Pharaoh's sight. And there is a sword from Pharaoh that is now against us. You know, there had been so much zeal for the Lord previously. I already read to you back in chapter 4 the worship of these people and the excitement of these people. But all of that is gone now. All of that initial momentum, it has evaporated. And now the people are greatly discouraged. And their mood has changed quickly. Listen, if you are serving the Lord, if you are doing ministry in any way, shape, or form, Get ready for this to occur in the hearts of the people that you are serving. There will just be times where there is great momentum and great zeal and great faith and great belief. And there will also be moments like this where the faith seems to dissipate and evaporate even in some of the leaders around you. But it's important, like Moses, to continue to believe and trust in the Lord and keep your eye on that thing that God has asked you to do. Don't be discouraged. Keep on going. Perhaps for you, you're fighting for a marriage. Perhaps for you, you're fighting for a relationship that's broken or a child that is run from God. Perhaps for you, you are reaching out to a family member or a loved one or a a friend that you would love to see introduced to Christ. Perhaps for you, you're trying to plant a church and grow a body of believers. For whatever it might be that you are doing in the kingdom of God, don't allow that discouragement to shut down God's work in your life. So quickly, the tide changed in the hearts of these leaders. And Moses' response was beautiful. It says in verse 22 that Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses is very frank and very honest with the Lord. He turns from these complaints, and he goes straight to the Lord. And he's very honest with the Lord. Why have you done this? And why did you send me? And how have you allowed this to occur, that Pharaoh has done this great evil to the people And he actually says to the Lord, verse 23, you have not delivered your people at all. Now, of course, Moses had not remembered that God had warned him about Pharaoh's rejection. 
He wasn't ready for this, Moses. And so he panics and he's afraid and he casts his care before the Lord. And for that, he does well. He does well to cast his care before the Lord, to be honest before the Lord. Now, he was wrong and his attitude needed to be corrected. But the Lord loves for us to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. It's good to be honest with the Lord. But the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 6, said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The Lord announces something very interesting to Moses. He says, listen, I know that you've gone in and you've demanded freedom and it's actually made things worse. Let me comfort you with this word. And two times the Lord says to him, with a strong hand, Pharaoh is going to drive the people out. He's going to send them out, but with a strong hand. In other words, when the time comes for Pharaoh to allow the people of Israel to go, it's not going to be this partial permission that's given. It's going to be a bold, strong hand of deliverance. God is announcing to Moses that he was going to use this for good. And that in the end, the end result of Pharaoh's resistance and this hardship that had initially arose would be that their deliverance would be so drastic and so complete. I mean, when they finally are released, they're going to be released with the full hand of Pharaoh behind them, gifts from the Egyptian people. Their deliverance will be absolutely complete. God spoke to Moses, verse 2, and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared, verse 3, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. The Lord here, in response to Moses' prayer, announces first his name to Moses. He says, I am the Lord. And then he says in verse 3 something very interesting. He says, when I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In other words, it's as if he's saying to Moses, listen, my name is the Lord, and your ancestors, they knew me as God Almighty. They did not know me as the Lord, but I am the Lord. It's as if God is saying, you, Moses, and the people around you, the Hebrew people, it's time for you to know me as the Lord. And I love this because on the one hand, God is reminding Moses of his name. And God's name is a name that indicates his power and his trustworthiness, his reputation. He's saying, hey, remember who I am. One of the most comforting things is just to remember who God is. And But then he says this interesting thing of, your ancestors, they did not know me as the Lord. Now, that's interesting because in the book of Genesis, the title, The Lord, is mentioned 162 times. And people began to call upon the name of the Lord all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. Probably what you have here is that in the past, they had promises from the Lord, 
but not yet the presence of the Lord and the fulfillment of his promises. So they were always looking forward to what the Lord was going to do, always looking forward to when the Lord would dwell with them. But he was about to fulfill his promises and about to dwell with the Hebrew people in a fresh, new, and wonderful way. And so God begins to declare his promises to Moses. He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Cain and the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore, verse 6, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of mercy. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so the Lord makes these wonderful promises to Moses. Really, you could break them down into three categories. You have to notice, first of all, that the phrase, I will, is repeated over and over again by the Lord. He is promising his own action. I will. But the first thing that he promises is redemption. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And then he says to them, and I will be your God. He is giving them a promise of adoption. And then he tells them, I will give you the land that I promised to your ancestors for a possession. And this, of course, is a promise of inheritance. And of course, under the gospel, we have all three of these, redemption, adoption, and a great inheritance that is ours in Christ. And so Moses spoke, verse 9, thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Literally, it means that with a broken spirit, there was this inward pressure that prevented proper breathing. The wind had been knocked out of them. There was no hope left in them. So the Lord, verse 10, said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised or unclean lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now in verse 14, we have a long genealogy concerning Moses and Aaron, which makes sense because there is a wonderful event that is about to occur, all of the plagues. And so before this grand event, it would be important to see a genealogy of the major figures, Moses and Aaron. And so it says in verse 14, these are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul. The son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. And of course, 
Moses and Aaron came from Levi's line. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shemei by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Melai, and Mushai, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. So Moses' parents, uh, Amram and Jochebed. The sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphon, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. We'll see these characters later in the book. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph, these are the clans of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. Again, another character that we'll see again. These are figures that are going to show up prominently in the priestly ministry. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are Aaron, are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And in verse 30, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And once again, Moses complains and doesn't believe that God could call him and use his life. We'll pick it up next time in chapter 7 with the plagues. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.